0: that's protocol and rhetoric about GBS testing. That's not based on the reality of GBS infection. We know it can come and go. So if a woman really wants to be tested in labor, and especially if it's outside of the five weeks that the test has been shown to be reliable for, to refuse her that is actually negligent care.
1: It is interesting how very imperfect this test is and how we're treating it like it's this absolute science and putting everyone into these boxes. And there's a lot of flaws on both sides and risks on both sides. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Tresha Ludwig, certified nurse
0: midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do. But how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture?
1: Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. All right, we're finally here, the long awaited GBS episode, Tricia.
0: I know it's unbelievable that we are two years into this,
1: just getting to GBS. We're almost three years into this. Let's, uh, we're in the, we're approaching the end of season three. <laughs> it's just going very fast. Are we really? Yeah. Yeah. New year's is going to be the beginning of our fourth year in our fourth season. Wow. Three, three, three full years, Wait, three full 2020. That'll be 2023. Oh my gosh. And GBS is, uh, it's a very important topic for a few reasons. First of all, If you're early in pregnancy, you're not thinking about it, but around 35, 36 weeks, about a third of women are going to be informed that they are GBS positive and may feel quite overwhelmed because they didn't see it coming. They don't understand it. They don't know what it is, what decisions to make around it. Is it dangerous? Are there protocols to follow or to avoid? So we'll be getting into all of that. The other reason this episode took quite a while to put together is that we've put many, many hours of research into it because there are a lot of studies around GBS. It's just a lot of them don't agree with each other and the data is different from country to country. So we had to tease out the data that was incongruent with what some of the other things were showing. And we had to number crunch a little bit to compile some of the information for you. And we hope we've put it together in a very logical, succinct format Um, What do you think, Trisha? You think we are going to pull that off? It was it was a (laughs) lot of great work. I think we're going to have a really informative, great
0: discussion around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And women are going to hear a lot of things that they absolutely will not hear from their medical provider. So it is going to be very valuable. But I think just the point about the studies too is important to say that most of the actual research was done way long ago, many years ago, and there isn't a lot of recent research and there really there is really no randomized controlled trials of recent and that's the gold standard of research so we don't actually have good modern day research on GBS so we should begin probably by explaining what GBS is
1: let's do that but before we do let's tell everyone that we have two versions of this episode today a regular and an extended version There are two ways to get the extended version. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you already subscribe to Apple, then the extended version is the one you're listening to right now automatically. And if you don't have Apple or prefer not to use Apple, head over to patreon.com slash down to birth show. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We'll put it in the show notes. And when you get to Patreon, you'll see that at no extra charge, you'll have access to all of our extended episodes ever, like our monthly extended Q&As, and downloadables, and we keep adding more good stuff there all the time. Now you might be wondering what's covered in each version. So in this regular or baseline version of the episode, we will be covering what GBS is, how it's screened, what are the risk factors for testing positive, how effective are the antibiotics, risks to not taking the antibiotics, and finally, what are the risk factors to a baby contracting GBS because it is the number one risk to vaginally birthed babies. So that's important as well. And that's what we'll be covering in the regular version. Go ahead. Not not only is it just the number one risk,
0: but it is the leading cause of infant morbidity and mortality in vaginal birthing women still today.
1: Right. Yeah. So, and then in the extended version, and we'll get into this, I guess, later when we're wrapping up this part of the episode, but we're going to get into like are there ways to pass the test so that you don't test positive? Actually, pass is a funny word in that in that context. Are there ways to um, get a negative result on the test? Is that a good idea? What do you need to know if you're looking into doing that? Um, if you treat your GBS naturally, can you skip the antibiotics? Alternative protocols. We'll also be talking about the effects of the antibiotics on you or your baby, why some women decline the antibiotics. And if you do opt for them, what you can do to basically restore the microbiome in yourself or your baby after the birth. Is there a rapid test? How effective is it? It's actually quite effective, but we're going to talk about what to be aware of if you're interested in the rapid test. And what if you're having a planned cesarean birth? Is it all necessary? And what if you're having a home birth and test positive with GBS? Does that impact anything? And then finally, our thoughts on the universal versus the risk-based approach. So we're going to get much deeper into this, but we're going to make sure everyone has all of the really basic, important information. So Tricia, with that, um, if you're willing, will you just start with just what, what GBS is and how it's screened? Sure thing. All right. So what is
0: GBS or group B strep? Um, it stands for group B streptococcus. It's also known as group B strep or GBS is most commonly how people are going to hear it uh, referenced. It is one of many trillions of organisms that inhabit the human intestinal tract, vagina, and rectum. Uh, It actually inhabits the bladder as well. At any given moment in any population, generally about a third of women are colonized with this bacteria. It's not harmful to a woman in general, although it can cause UTIs, but urinary tract infections for some people. But in general, it's not harmful to be a, a carrier of it. And you can be a carrier of it at some points in your life, and you can be a non-carrier carrier of it at other points. And throughout your just a, a single pregnancy, you can have GBS at one point and not at another point. Whether or not you test positive has a lot to do with your colonization count. So if GBS is a really prevalent bacteria in your vagina or rectum, you're more likely to test positive. If it's just very minimal, you're less likely to test positive. So the risk is to your baby, not to the mother, really very little risk to the mother. Um, and the risk is that there can be a direct transfer of the GBS bacteria from mother to baby, typically after water breaks Because the most common way that babies are infected by GBS is that the bacteria ascends um, from the vagina into the uterus after the water bag of waters is broken and you no longer have that protective seal. And the baby, as they're breathing in utero, as babies do, they can inhale some of the GBS bacteria. It can get into their lungs and now they have potential risk of systemic infection. The other way that babies can get infected from it is through coming through the birth canal. As they come through the birth canal, that bacteria gets on their skin and those babies are very likely to be colonized with GBS, but that does not mean that they're gonna be infected with GBS. And most of the time when babies get it on their skin, they don't actually get infected. The most common way for babies to get infected and sick with GBS is through the ascending infection through the uterus and into the lungs.
1: Question for you. Yes. You made a passing comment that there's very little risk to the mother. What's the risk to the mother? If even if it's almost nothing, what is is it? I never heard of any risk to a mother. Just
0: the urinary tract infection.
1: Oh, oh, I see. So that's the extent of it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay.
0: So as of 2020, the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists ACOG states that the best time to test for GBS is between 36 and 37 weeks. This is a little bit different than the CDC, which has said in the past 35 to 37 weeks. But because we know that women tend to go into labor after 40 weeks on average, um, testing at 35 weeks, the tests are only valid for about five weeks. So if you test at 35 weeks and you go to 41 weeks, your test is no longer valid. So they've moved the dates out a little bit further to testing between 37 and 30, 36 and 37 weeks so that if you are still pregnant
1: at 42 weeks, your test is still likely to be valid. Um, I'm going to have to jump in again. So when it, all these years, when women have been tested at 35 and 36 weeks, a lot of them did go to forty one, forty two, And I've never seen a provider willing to retest. So if everyone, and you agree, right?
0: Um, Most likely they will not retest. They'll still just consider you positive if they'd rather treat yeah. you.
1: But what the data shows is that the test only holds for about five weeks. So if you're meaning, colonized, meaning-, meaning that you are likely to have the same result within a five week period, and you're not necessarily likely to get. So let's get into that because that might not make sense yet. Um to everyone listening, if they haven 't heard of this before, so shall I do want to search sure. so basically, just to back up and repeat a little bit of what Trisha just said, for some women, they could have ten babies and they will never test positive because they have such a low amount of g b s in their system they will just always get a negative result whereas some women, if they have numerous babies, they will test positive sometimes and they 'll test negative sometimes and what 's important to understand is when you get your test. First of all, whatever the result is, that is how you will be treated at birth. If it's negative, this is not going to come up again. If it's positive, it. I have never seen anyone able to evade uh, that diagnosis to say, well, test me again. I'm 42 weeks now. It just seems like a, a. it's stamped on her record and she shall be treated as though she is positive at the time of birth. Any Although on that? yes,
0: just with the advent of the rapid test in labor and the recent studies on that, which we're going to get into later later. It, yeah, it might um, you might be
1: able to fight against that. So later we'll talk a little bit about um, a rapid test and that I think um, we're going to be talking about how that's a very viable option. but we're for, for the purposes of this discussion because um, especially in the United t- States, the rapid test is extremely seldom utilized we're going to be talking about just the regular GBS test. So the first important thing to understand is that diagnosis, when you get that test, um, is going to stay with you through your birth. You can assume that if you're an exception, great, but it is safe to assume that. So Tricia, why don't you just tell us all how the test is done first at that 35 to 37 week mark. So the test, uh, basically consists of getting a swab
0: culture of the vaginal and rectal bacteria. So it goes up in the vagina and into the rectum, quick swab. You can actually do this yourself. Um, or you can have your provider do it, but I think we've talked about this before. You're a little bit at risk if you have your provider do it of also getting a vaginal exam, which you don't need at 36 or 37 weeks. Wait, they can do that during a GBS test. So usually what happens is it's like, well, we're going to do your GBS test today. So why don't we get you on the table, put your feet in the stirrups, and we'll just check your cervix while we're doing the test. Mm. Okay. It, so just because, be
1: aware that they don't need to accompany each other. You can say just do the GBS test and I don't want a vaginal or exam. Or
0: to avoid it all and, you know, avoid taking your pants off and getting up on the table, just do the test yourself. Just Do, the, they, do, you the do swab? they support that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So you just go hand them the Q-tip? They bladder, hand you the swab,
0: you, it- you go into the bathroom, you swab yourself and hand them
1: back the test kit. You're thinking in
0: terms of midwives, probably more than obstetricians, don't you think? I think you can do this in your OB's office too. I think you can say, just ask to do the GBS test yourself.
1: All right, cool. Because it's
0: it's very simple and it does not require being on a table.
1: Well, what I like about that is if that's happening, they're... they're trusting women it's it's a it's a ludicrous concept for another person to trust you doing anything with your own body but that is what it feels like they're trusting women to do this when I, when i switched from an obstetrician to the midwives um in my first birth i remember they said okay you can go into the bathroom and weigh yourself and do your own urine test and i remember thinking oh you like you're trusting me to what a concept to trust me to, to report accurately my weight and do my own urine test and i i loved that feeling of responsibility, but I didn't realize they, that could extend to GBS tests and I'm very happy to hear it.
0: Well, we should definitely get um, some input from our audience on how many people have been offered to do their GBS test themselves or, or not. Mm, so okay, we'll do let's that. do, let's do that. Um, so, back so to the test back to the test. So the, the most common way to test for GBS is through vaginal and rectal swabbing. Early on in pregnancy, when you do a urine sample, they also test for GBS in your urine. Two to 7% of women will have test positive for GBS in their urine. If you test positive for GBS in your urine, you are considered to be a high colony count. Um, high, have a high colonization of GBS and therefore you are considered positive all the way through and they won't even do a vaginal test at 36, 37 weeks.
2: Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day, So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to Birth
0: is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared any time during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, s-o-o-t-h-e dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed, a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal Head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20%
1: off your first order. And they don't treat women during pregnancy for that, do they? No. I had one client years ago, a few years ago who was, and I was stunned by it. And she said she tested positive at the beginning of pregnancy and she's been on antibiotics her whole pregnancy. And I was astonished and I've never heard of it, read about it. It's not an ongoing risk factor to your baby it's really something that has to be managed during the birth alone
0: right so so what they're assuming what they're assuming if they're treating you with antibiotics throughout pregnancy is that your baby's at risk of getting infected all throughout your pregnancy that that risk of the ascending infection into the uterus is possible with your bag of water intact now there may be some providers who believe that's true but I don't think that there's any evidence to support that and there certainly is risk of being on an antibiotic throughout your entire pregnancy. Um, and because in the case of GBS in the urine, it's a lot less likely that your GBS status is going to change throughout pregnancy. And that's why when you test positive in the urine, you're considered positive all the way through, and they're going to want to
1: start antibiotics as soon as you're in labor. So there are problems with the test. It takes about a couple of days for the results to come in at least 48 hours. Um, that is made potentially a problem with what the test, but there's, there are bigger problems with the test. You want to talk about what they are?
0: There are definitely problems with the GBS test. It's not a perfect test. Um, the, the issue is that as we mentioned already, GBS can come and go. There are false negatives with the test, and there are false positives. You can test positive at the time of your screening, but in those cases of women who test positive at the time of screening, when they actually go into labor, or so of those women will actually be negative at the time of birth. And conversely, if you test negative, about 9% of those women who test negative at their screening will be positive at the time of birth. And interestingly, two thirds of the cases of early onset disease of GBS or GBS infection in the baby are in false negative women. So women who were tested, tested negative, ended up with their babies getting sick, two thirds of the cases
1: are of that type. So just to just to reiterate a little bit, if you are tested positive, then your provider will be recommending that you receive periodic courses of intravenous antibiotics during your birth, typically a course of antibiotics every four hours. But I've heard of providers who, uh, who deviate a little bit from that protocol, but most women get one or two potentially three courses throughout their labor and a lot of women don't love that and they're a little bit bummed about it because no one wants to give unnecessary antibiotics um the risk of your baby contracting gbs we're going to get into but it's very low so to for all women to receive it it's a little bit of a downer sometimes because you know you don't want to give unnecessary antibiotics if your baby doesn't really need it but the the more interesting side of this is for the women who test negative as we said earlier it really doesn't come up again But 9% of them will actually be positive at the time of birth and no one's thinking about it. No one's addressing it. No one's doing anything about it. And we're not saying that they should, because the only solution would be if we don't have a better test in the meantime to give absolutely everyone antibiotics during birth, which would be ridiculous. But it is interesting how very imperfect this test is and how we're treating it like it's this absolute science Um, And putting everyone into these boxes. And there's a lot of flaws on both sides and risks on both sides.
0: I think the most important point there is that if two thirds of the babies who are getting sick with this, which is what we're trying to prevent babies getting early onset disease, if two thirds of those are born to mothers who tested negative, then our screening system isn't working that well. Right. Right. The other thing I want to say, just a point on getting the antibiotics in labor, is that also if you don't get the antibiotics, at least if you don't start them at least four hours before your baby is born, their effectiveness is dramatically decreased, like by at least half.
1: So that's uh, an important point. Let's just stop for a second and talk about that. So let's say a woman goes into labor. She gets to the hospital at noon. She's been in labor for a couple of hours. We're going to talk about risk factors, but it, what should happen? is whether it's within four hours of her membranes being released. And we'll get into risk factors later, but Tricia, what if her membranes are intact? She gets to the hospital and has the baby right away before they can give a course of antibiotics. Is it recommended to test the baby or do they just basically leave the mom and baby alone and keep an eye on the baby? They typically just watch the baby, monitor the baby if she didn't get the antibiotics. But that could
0: vary from hospital to hospital. I'm not entirely sure.
1: Yeah. Cause I think some say, well, then we have to take the baby away for testing. And I think that's the big threat. That's the big thing everyone's worried about.
0: Well, the, yes, the, the, that's the concern. Also, when you go in with unknown GBS status is that they are going to be more on top of monitoring your baby, which may mean taking the
1: baby away for testing more often. And this puts women in a really difficult position when they want the antibiotics, because everyone is getting that advice. If they're birthing in a hospital, which we're presuming right now, to get to the hospital as late as possible. And now this is like, Oh, great. If I get there too late, um, and they haven't had a chance to give me the antibiotics and I have the baby too quickly and no one wants that vibe and that energy to not want to have the baby when they're having that urge. And, you know, everyone wants the baby to come pretty, um, you know, in good time, but like, then the question is, what are they going to do and how, how are they going to treat this baby after the baby is born? If they haven't had antibiotics.
0: Right. And I think The important thing to remember, at least for the mother from her perspective is again, that if your water is not broken for an extended period of time and your baby does come really quickly and you didn't get a chance to get the antibiotics, your baby's at risk of skin colonization with GBS, but very unlikely that they're going to have the more systemic through the lungs that, you know, that that's the risk for getting, for the baby getting sick with the GBS infection, not just getting it on their skin as they come through. So most of the time, if your baby's born quickly and your bag of water was not ruptured for a long period of time, people are a lot less worried about it.
1: So let's talk about the risk of what happens if the baby contracts it. How dangerous is it? How likely is it? Right. So
0: the question that everybody wants to know is, should I, should I get tested? Should I be treated? What's the risk to my baby? Like That's the ultimate question is how likely is my baby to get sick and... To get sick and/or die from GBS infection. So, fortunately, most healthy full-term babies will not get sick, even though many of them can get colonized. If you test positive, that does not mean that they're going to get sick. The risk of a baby developing a serious life-threatening GBS infection is about 1% to 2%. The mortality rate, the number of babies that actually die from GBS infection, is about two to 3% for full-term infants.
1: It's much higher for preterm infants. It's two to 3% for preterm infants who have contracted a systemic infection.
0: Full-term. If a hundred babies are infected with early onset GBS,
1: two to three of them will die, two to 3%. So uh, we're not talking a hundred percent of babies in general. We're not talking about that. We're talking first about a hundred percent of babies who are untreated for GBS. So that in that category, we have women who tested negative, but actually ended up being positive at birth, whether they knew it or not. And we have women who tested positive and declined the antibiotics, which is a small number probably in the U S because most women get the antibiotics I've noticed, but that's what we're looking at. Babies who were exposed to GBS at birth, And they were coming from mothers who were not treated with the antibiotics. One to 2% of those babies will contract what's called GBS early onset disease. That's when they have that systemic infection Tricia was talking about. And two to 3% of those babies will die. Okay. So if I'm understanding these numbers correctly, what that's telling us is of 10,000 babies born to mothers. With GBS infection without antibiotics, one to two of them will die. That's the bottom line. That's the takeaway. Because we just did, this is the percent that will contract it. This is the this is the percent that won't recover, and that number comes out to 0.015 Where I I considered it one and a half percent because we said it was one to two percent. That's what the data shows. So I considered it one point five percent. Now what we're also seeing is when women are treated with antibiotics that risk of death, that risk of mortality is reduced by
0: 80%. That's right.
1: But so, that's on. based on those Cochrane
0: reviews that are considered invalid because they just don't have good data collection. But that's the number most people are working on it's off the only
1: of. it's the only number anyone has, yes. is what you're saying. So it's yes. not great data. Why is it not great data?
0: Because it was done in the 90s when they just weren't collecting data in in the most, um, who's saying it's not good data is what I'm asking. The the Cochrane review said that those statistics are invalid.
1: So we have no other statistics to look at.
0: There is no current good research on GBS.
1: Okay. A few midwives I know don't ever treat with antibiotics. And this has not been their protocol to use antibiotics. It is extremely unlikely that a baby will die from this, but the risk does exist. And that's why we want to take it seriously enough to look at these things. But when babies are born to moms with GBS, most of them will not get GBS infection. And there are reasons for that. Now, some will, again, that's why we're talking about this. And that's why this matters. But why wouldn't a baby contract it? Well, first of all, one of the risk factors of a baby contracting it is if they're born prematurely because their own immune system can handle the GBS as we learned in about 99, 98, 99% of cases, they won't contract anything. That's because of their own good immune system. That's one reason why they might not contract it. The
0: mortality rate for premature babies is many
1: fold higher. Okay. So the numbers we just provided were just for full-term babies and it is much higher for premature babies because of their immune system being if not you, developed yet. Yes. In a GBS positive woman giving preterm birth, it is almost like it's just an
0: absolute. You're going to take antibiotics,
1: yeah, and it makes sense too. Yes, it makes sense too. it., yes. yeah, yep, yeah. okay. And then another risk factor. you mentioned it. You alluded to it earlier. It has to do with rupture of membranes. The longer the membranes are ruptured, the longer they're before the birth, the longer that baby is exposed to the bacteria. I believe aCOG says eighteen plus hours is what they're looking at. Yes, yeah. so if you're if you have had your membranes released in labor, and you haven't had the baby within 18 hours of the release of your membranes, that is now another risk factor for GBS, meaning your baby is now more likely to contract it than if you were to have your baby within that 18-hour window. Again, makes antibiotics more reasonable than not.
0: If you develop a fever in labor is another one, Mm -hmm. as well as having GBS in the urine, that's considered a high risk factor because your
1: colonization count is considered to be so much higher. So maternal fever, there definitely is an infection going on. So we want to address that. And then, as you said, if it's in the mother's urine, she has a particularly high colonization of GBS, again, making the baby more likely to contract it. So these are some really important risk factors to be aware of if you do test positive for GBS. So let's, let's talk about some risk factors
0: for testing positive. What makes one woman test positive for GBS and one woman not? So the first thing is young age. Younger women under 20 years of age tend to test positive more often. Women who have multiple sexual partners because multiple sexual partners are going to change up your vaginal flora. Um women who have chronic hypertension or pre-existing diabetes are more likely to test positive. Interestingly, women who use tampons regularly more likely to test positive. Tobacco use um oral sex male to female oral sex is more likely in poor hygiene
1: also interestingly these kind of de- this kind of data always frustrates me cuz i it never makes sense to me but a study was done in the london area of 6000 women in 2019 and they found differences by race and black women do test positive more than other races i don't understand why we see things like this, it doesn't make any sense to me. For Black women, in this particular study of 6,000 women, 39.5% tested positive for GBS. For white women, it was 27.4%. And for Asian women, 23.3%. Either way, we're always looking for individualized care. And that's why the risk factors, I think, are the most important information we've given so far. Because even hearing mortality rates, it's somewhat comforting knowing that it's extremely unlikely. But Every woman is worried about that risk, but still we can only do so much with general statistics, but those risk factors, I think are the most important information we've given you today. If you actually have GBS and if you test positive and you're in labor, you can now have the awareness to understand the likelihood that your baby will potentially be at risk. So if you go into labor at full term and your membranes are intact, you immediately can think, okay, so far, so good. I don't have a fever. Membranes are intact. No clock has started ticking yet on the membranes. I'm full term here. That is the kind of information we want you to take away from this so that you can make your own informed decisions along the way. Cause we can all look at statistics and studies all the time. And it it's, I think, um, I think it's a false sense of, of comfort and information. What you really need is how do you handle it when you're in labor? What decisions do you make? That's why we look at risk factors.
0: And we didn't mention vaginal exams and that actually doesn't really come up in the data probably because it hasn't been studied, but we certainly know that there's an increased risk of infection or choreo during labor with multiple vaginal exams and intrauterine um, monitoring in labor is also associated with a higher risk factor for a baby to be infected with GBS. So that would be like the internal scalp. Um, fetal scalp electrode monitoring,
1: not fans of anyway. Or
0: measuring the strength of a contraction with an intrauterine pressure monitor, which Ugh. sometimes um, I, is I, recommended. I,
1: I hate these interventions, but that's a good point, Tricia, because how many providers aren't willing to do those things because a mom tested positive, that would be the right thing for the provider to do. That's right. I don't, I don't believe that that's happening,
0: but they're already treating him with antibiotics. So it's probably not going to change how they manage
1: the mother's mm. birth. Right. Because, but the, but even the antibiotics are not totally effective. That's Babies right. Babies can still contract it. That's
0: right. Especially if it's been less than four hours, but you're probably not having as many interventions if it's been less than four hours between, you know, if you get to the hospital and your baby's born an hour later, you're not likely to have a lot of vaginal exams or any of these intrauterine monitoring. So well, right, right. But just overall, just I think it's just important to say that, you know, the less that's going up and in the vagina, the less likely you are to have any type of ascending infection into the uterus. And that's important to remember. So I think the the overall um, takeaway here is that in general, there's a very low likelihood that your baby is going to develop early onset GBS infection. Even if you are positive, it's 1% to 2% chance of that. However, the risk of your baby developing GBS infection without treatment is about five times higher. So that's a good
1: takeaway. Uh, I guess one question women have before we wrap up this regular episode is, am I, am I, can I decline the antibiotics if I want? And I'd of like course. to hear your, and I'd like to hear Tricia, if a woman decides to do that, what should she do instead? For example, we had, um we had a uh, Christina's birth story on our episode in, I think it was February of last year, might've been March of last year. And um, she shared a really extraordinary birth story of having GBS. Her providers wanted to induce her. She called me crying from the parking lot of the emergency room. And she said, every cell in my body is telling me not to go into the hospital right now and and be induced because my membrane's released and I have GBS. And I put her in touch with my mentor and she went to Boston and had this amazing birth a couple of weeks later with Nancy Weiner. But Nancy didn't just say, yeah, the heck with it. We're not going to do antibiotics. Nancy said, okay, when you drive back home to New York, you will not use a public restroom. I want you taking this much vitamin C. I want you, she told her what to do to reduce the likelihood of infection. So I guess what we're saying is, um, if you do decline the antibiotics, that is your right to do so, but you still have a responsibility to yourself to carefully manage your birth and keep yourself infection free. So I would say, if that's your decision, I wouldn't think in terms of being too casual about it, but do your research on how you can stay healthy and keep your immune system up in the meantime and reduce the likelihood of that happening. Of course, membranes being intact is a big part of it as well. And natural sources of vitamin C are an outstanding way to have stronger membranes, though that's no guarantee. I think
0: we're going to go into that and into the extended version. Some of the things you can do to try to, um, ensure that you don't test positive, or if you do test positive to potentially be negative at the time of birth. But I would just add to that, that if you do test positive and you do decline the antibiotics, I would at least recommend following the risk-based protocol for starting the antibiotics. If any of those things, any of those risk factors develop in
1: labor, my personal recommendation would be to start antibiotics. Yep. It's a risk benefit situation. And we already see the likelihood going up, if those risk factors are present, that would be reasonable to get the antibiotics is what you're saying. It's a reasonable choice. I think it's the right choice. Okay. Well, I think we're ready to go deeper on this, but if you're here for the regular episode, we hope this was helpful. And for the full version, which is an hour long episode, head on over to patreon.com slash down to birth show. And you will get the full extended version ad-free plus all our other extended episodes and some other goodies over there. So head on over there if you'd like the full version of this episode. And otherwise, thank you so much for joining us. And if you have your own GBS questions or stories that you'd like to reach out with, you can always call us at 802-438-3696. 802-GET-DOWN. And with that, I think we're ready to... uh, to dive deeper on this, Trisha. Awesome. awesome. So onward into a little
0: bit more detail here. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere.
1: Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com/disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. And yeah, that's it. I have nothing to say. I'm out of words. I'm out of words. <laughs> Run Ran you? out of words. Out of words? Yeah, yes, me. No. I can run out of words. <laughs> it's happened once in a while. Wow.